Good afternoon and welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We are going to kick you right away to Ross Atkins's season-ending media availability down at Rogers Center. We'll be back with you after to break down everything Atkins has to say. Uh, but right now, we go live to Rogers Center. During that time, just looking at your, your scene this offseason, your, your payroll kind of projects with arbitration raises and that stuff to be a little bit higher than it was next next year's projected to be a bit higher than it was this year how much flexibility do you have just to set the expectations for fans do you have the flexibility to continue shopping in that premium market this year or do you need to be a little bit more modest in, in what you do yeah we've had um nothing but support and a lot of flexibility from day one uh we've always <clears throat> had a strategy with uh, the resources that we've requested and have uh, always been granted. So uh, I feel confident in saying we have not, we've begun the process to work through, uh, you know, what a budget looks like. And, you know, we haven't got to the point where we have approval and sign off, but the first step will be working through where the opportunities are, exactly what we feel the needs will be, then we'll make a presentation to Mark. That presentation will then go to Edward Rogers and Rogers Corporation. Uh, but feel very good about having support to continue to build upon this team. Uh, you're kind of in a unique spot because you only have two, I think, two free agents on this roster right now or, or close to that. Um, does that require a little bit more creativity this offseason just because you don't have the obvious openings that maybe you had in previous offseasons? Are you going to have to be a little bit more aggressive like in the trade market, for example? I mean, it, we'll, we're always open to that, of course. I think being in a position where you've won 92 games, you've had uh, productive individual performances and collectively in season in 162 uh, been successful is a good starting point, and <clears throat> to the, the extent that we can be creative, we will always lean into that. Ross, after uh, after watching what happened on the weekend, what are the emotions for you, and how do you digest what happened, uh, particularly Saturday? Yeah, I mean, it was. <clears throat> I, I wish that everyone could come immediately into our clubhouse and hear and see the things that our players and staff are saying to one another uh, because that it was very helpful for me uh, to experience the level of um, resolve and, and motivation and the, the language that was being used uh, about one another, for one another, and about this team doing special things moving forward and this being one part of our journey uh, was very helpful. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the emotions are were difficult. You know, we sat in here five days ago and felt very good about us making a deep run, and we're confident that we had a team to do it, and we didn't. So uh, that was a disappointing outcome for us on Saturday. You mentioned that with, with all the high expectations this year. How, how do you describe and kind of sum up this season? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the way I did five days ago, um, that – this group has, our, our success has come from a large group, um, not just players, but feel very good about the job uh, that our staff has done to bring our players together. We had contributions across our 40-man roster. We had additions to our 40-man roster that had significant contributions and feel that the organization's in a very healthy state. Um, haven't thought about the best way to summarize the entire season, but thinking about the state of the organization is where my mind goes. Hey, Ross. 
What is the process for you to decide, make a decision on John Schneider, and um, what are the elements that you will be looking for if it's not, if you're not going to have John Schneider continue in his role? <clears throat> um, just more time uh, to to work through that. All of our energy has been. Uh, deployed towards winning and with John Schneider and feel very confident about the job that he has done and did. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it will be very difficult for us to find better than John Schneider, but out of respect for the organization, out of respect for John Schneider, I do want time to work through the process with him. Crossed. Um other than Romano, I didn't hear anybody stand up and own it, what happened in that game. Romano apologized, basically, for his pitches. I didn't hear anybody else. I heard Tim Meza defend, saying, you know, he made good pitches. I never heard your interim manager take ownership for what happened. He just said that he trusted his players. So what exactly are you talking about when you say you wish that everybody could have come into that clubhouse and heard what the players had to say because I just heard excuses. I did not hear anybody say, we really blew this. Yeah. I mean, they, the accountability, I think it's it's easier to do when it's just your team um, and it's just your teammates that you spent the entire year with and the accountability was there. Uh, but it was also picking up one another and, and talking about this being, I don't think there was a person in this room uh, or in our room that wasn't disappointed, wasn't looking inward, wasn't thinking about it. And that certainly starts with me on how we need to improve things and how we need to get better. Uh, but the fact that it was happening collectively is what, you know, it just turns your mind towards exactly that. How are we getting better, challenging one another to do it, and, and sticking with one another and not pointing fingers? But isn't pointing, I mean, pointing fingers is just taking responsibility. Isn't that how they hold each other accountable, you're saying pointing fingers as if it's a bad thing, when that, in fact, what you do in team sports. Not the team sports I've been around, where pointing fingers is a good thing. I haven't seen that, but um, I do think holding one another accountable uh, starts internally, and, and that's what we saw. Right. Is there is there one part of the roster... Uh, is there one part of the roster that you think needs the biggest upgrade this offseason that you'll put most of your attention in? You know, it, it, I think many people will think that, uh, you know, our pitching is the area that is the easiest to upgrade. And I think part of that is how good we've been offensively. Um, but to us, it's not just that simple. I do think we can improve our ability to get strikeouts and to get more swing and miss. And we saw the results of that um, in, in, in that game. But we knew that going into the game, that we, we had some pitchers that were more contact-oriented, and it did work, work well for us for much of the season. So um, feel good about the group that's here and do feel like we can complement it in a way that will we'll take another step for us. Are you expecting to be very active in the offseason because you have so many players that are returned? We're, just, we're positioned to be active. Um, you know, we're a winning team that has a really good foundation with a young core, and there's going to be ways for us to find opportunity, and there's, there's three ways to do that. There's internal strides, uh, there's external acquisition via free agency, and then there's trade. 
Uh, one of the things I'm really, uh, uh, I feel confident about is our ability to get better internally. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about it over the course of the year, not just over the course of three days, but um, feel strongly that we're going to have development that occurs from our major league roster. As, as all of you know well, the uh, improvement and development of young talent isn't always linear. There's going to be ups and downs, and I feel like there's uh, you know, a lot of winning ahead for this group. Hey, Ross, over here. Um, just uh, from your perspective, you guys won 92 games, so one more than last year, and you obviously got to the postseason um, and played two games, two losses. Do you think that this team took a big enough step this year that it's progress? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so following up, I mean, how do you then sort of reconcile with, you know, this roster was one of the best offenses. You have two pitchers that are probably going to receive Cy Young votes, and it still was not able to produce a playoff win. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're not happy with the end result, and we will, uh, you know, that starts with me. It's not, I'm not looking at Timmy Mesa, the pitch he threw. I'm not looking at John Schneider's decisions and saying what happened. I'm looking at myself and baseball operations and where we need to find opportunities to improve the current roster. Uh, but, you know, in, in taking, I guess, in saying why I see it as successful, I would say all the things that I said five days ago about, about the team. And um, believe me, I'm, I'm not um, unaware of how uh, difficult that loss was for our fan base. It was just as difficult for us and the players. Um, but we're going to make it a part of our journey and, and look to build from it. Hey, Ross, is there anything or any lessons you take or hoping the team takes from those two specific playoff games? You know, I, it's, to me, it's, it's the experience in general. Um, it's not necessarily the loss. Uh, I think <clears throat> in time, everyone will reflect and think about their feelings, think about, uh, you know, feelings meaning how they felt in the moment of performance, um, what they can take away from that. And one of the things that, you know, I, I <clears throat> felt so good about even after the loss was it, it wasn't from a lack of effort or focus at any point. Um, there wasn't one point where I thought, um, you know, someone could have given more effort or someone could have been more focused. We did not back down. We were not walking guys. Uh, we were aggressive. If anything, we were more aggressive than we've been. And especially from a pitching perspective, I'll take that all day long. And, you know, not the outcome. And, yes, could we have been better? Sure. But I'm thinking more about how I could have been better than any individual pitcher or any individual defender. And, obviously, we had a great offensive performance on Saturday. Uh, hey, Ross. Uh, over here. Just wondering what happened with George Springer and what the update on his status is at this point. So he, I, I'm, I don't know how much um, everyone is aware, but he did have a concussion. He does have a shoulder sprain, and, and both of them he is recovering well from. I uh, just saw him minutes ago, and he, he will be cleared to travel relatively soon, which is a very good sign, and his shoulder's range of motion is already improving, so nothing to be concerned about long term. Sounds good. Right shoulder? Uh, I believe it's his left shoulder. Okay. I'm not, um, and I'm not just, certain of that, but yeah. Um, on Schneider, do you anticipate interviewing other candidates uh, for that position? So I, I think the best way to describe it is we, 
where 20, all of our energy, all of our effort went towards helping John Snyder be in the best position to win. And we did not spend time and energy on putting him in the best position to be our long-term manager. Um, we've just started that process with him, and I expect it to be difficult to do better than him. Hey, Ross. Um, how would you describe the level of... Er- how would you describe the level of urgency um, heading into the offseason, given um, another year expired on some of your big contracts yeah. and another year of control on some of your younger players? What's the urgency going forward right now? You know, it's, I, I feel like I'm asked that a lot, whether it be from friends or, you know, walking down the street. And, and certainly in this room, I've been asked that a bunch. And my urgency or our urgency is always as high as it can be. Um, it just maybe manifest, uh, I think, in our decision-making in different ways as people perceive our urgency. Um, but we're, we're as urgent as we could possibly be to push upon this core. Um, maybe if you're asking, do we feel like our window has opened and we need to think about the potential of it closing, Is that's just not how we, we're thinking about this core and this team. We think about... Uh, pushing the window open as long and as we possibly can. And just to follow up on, on the state of your rotation, what, what, how much of a priority is that heading into the offseason? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm confident that Jose Barrios, with his athleticism, his durability, his commitment, will be end up with better performance a year from now. Um, we're excited to get to work with Yusei Kikuchi and see what strides we can make with him and certain things that didn't go as planned. Um, you know, obviously with the opening with Strip, we're going to look to fulfill that as well or fill that role as well. And that could be via trade free agency. Um, you know, <clears throat> there's going to be uh, guys that get better as well from, from within our system. There's some, there's some young pitchers in our system we're excited about. But we're going to be thinking about all of those ways to improve our rotation. Ross, maybe over the weekend you had fans walking up to you in the street and say, what the heck happened? What do you say to them? I, I think I've said most of it. Uh, you know, I would be saying it again. I, I, <clears throat> I'm really, really uh, proud of this group and not without disappointment and you know, not without uh, looking inward of needing to be better. And we didn't, we didn't sign up to... Um, get to the playoffs. That is not our goal. So we will work tirelessly to get to the point we know that all that matters is being there on the last day uh, as it relates to evaluating you know, our performance. And we didn't get there. So, but at the same time, I feel <clears throat> very good about the growth of this group, the foundation that we have, and excited to improve upon it. Boss over here. Just as a follow-up on Springer, will he need some sort of procedure on his elbow this offseason? And just bigger picture, what type of impact will all this have on his future in 2023 for center field? I, I, um, we don't know. I, he's going to see Dr. Meister as soon he, as he's cleared. Um, I think relatively soon after him being cleared to travel, he'll go see Dr. Meister and we'll have – his elbow is feeling much better, so we'll see once he gets in there. But I don't expect that to impact them, if anything, positively. So I think just getting rid of that spur would only impact him positively and his ability to play center field. 
And just uh, in terms of, as you're sort of mapping out your areas to attack this offseason from a personnel standpoint, coaching standpoint, uh, how, much, how much weight do you put into the two games in, in the postseason in your evaluative process? Understanding it's yeah. a small sample, but it's also a particularly meaningful sample given the stakes in I those think, games. Yeah, I think some for sure. You know, we, we definitely want to think about, um, you know, why that occurred. You know, why were we out in two games? And, you know, what, what needs to change to decrease the likelihood of that? Um, but I still feel that the hardest thing to do is to win a division, to get into the playoffs, and you put yourself in those positions to then be successful. Um, but yes, we, we definitely need to be thinking about that and determine how to weight that, and we've just started that process. Hey, Ross, when you think back over the last year, in particular the trade deadline, do you have any regrets? It, you know, when we were sitting here five days ago, I felt very good about our team to make a, a strong run and a deep one into the into the playoffs, and we didn't. Um, so, you know, we'll <clears throat> look inward and we'll talk a lot about that. And, and are there ways that we are things that we could have done differently? But felt very good about that group going in uh, five days ago, and <clears throat> we didn't get it done. Hey, Ross, um, just going back to when you talked about the rotation and you said the opening with Strip, does that mean that you either aren't confident that he's coming back or want to look elsewhere, or, like, where does it sit with Strip? Well, as you know, I, you know I'm not <clears throat> going to get into, as out of respect for Strip, him becoming a free agent is, you know, I, I want to uh, have all the respect in the world for that. So, um, but... We do think a lot of Ross Stripling and, and feel um, that he's a great fit in this organization. And um, to follow up in another direction, I guess, there's been a lot of, um, you know, the, the, from the upset fans over the, the two games, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are out for blood, but a lot of people are just saying maybe this franchise needs, you know, Jays fans go back 30 years and they think, there was a huge franchise-altering trade where you, they traded the Fred McGriff and got Joe Carter and uh, Robbie Alomar um, and traded Tony Fernandez, too. Do you think that uh, a core-shifting trade is something that uh, is an attractive proposition or not? No. I, I, um, you know, we have to consider every way to make the team better, but I, uh, all the things I said, I don't want to say them over and over to you, but I feel them in my heart, in my core. So. Hey, Ross, just um, on the offseason, exploring relief options, uh, I know a lot was made about not enough swing and miss this year, and I'm just wondering how, how far you guys are evaluating the bullpen and, and what needs there might be for next year. How, how far we're evaluating? What did you how say? How far along you are how in far evaluating. Along? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, our, our bullpen had really solid they had some really good moments this year where there were times in the year where especially early Jordan Romano you know had the team you never have the team on your back um that's a expression that gets used all too often in sport but um there were times where our bullpen was very effective for us and I think is still um you know at 
at many points in the season one of the better bullpens in the season. I know it in the in the in the uh, industry. Having said that, we're aware that we need to be one of the best bullpens uh, to to be there at the end of the the year. And <clears throat> it's interesting as in, we were talking about this, I believe, at the deadline as well. Historically. It's not just about pitching that gets you to the World Series. It's about your whole team. And our goal is to be one of the best in all of those areas and continue to push towards that um, and, and feel that we've made progress in, in that area and as it relates to the bullpen as well. Ross, there's been a, a lot of talk over the last couple of years about potentially trying to find a way to insert a lefty bat in the, into yep. the lineup. Is that a priority for you this offseason? And, and how challenging is that when you've got potentially nine starting guys returning? Yeah, what, what makes it hard is how good the nine guys are. Um, so, you know, doing better than a certain hitter and turning them around uh, in the batter's box is the hard part of it because they've been so effective. It's not like we got beat up by right-handed pitching. So, um, you know, we'll consider those alternatives. I do think there is something to um, having similar types of hitters and game planning for them that we need to dig deeper into and how we can account for that and offset that. Um, you know, but you know, you, you're, you're leaning into my point uh, a little bit that I made to Caitlin as well, that it, we can be better in every area, and that will ultimately make us a better team. Certain areas are harder to pr- improve upon, and offensive, on the offensive side, that would be one that's harder to improve upon, even if it means handedness. Um, you guys have obviously done a nice job developing your own uh, position players and, and starting pitchers. Why do you think uh, it's been more of a challenge uh, and a bit of a shortfall that you guys haven't been able to develop more of your own relievers? Well, I mean, Romano and Meza are, are decent examples of that, um, and it is, <clears throat> you know, something that I think relievers come from a lot of different uh, areas in the game across the entire industry, and, um, you know, part of it is our development paths and the timelines for relievers are so unique. Uh, there, there isn't a lot of consistency around how a reliever gets to being a, one of the more effective ones in the game. Um, you know, but it, your questions, your it, it's definitely a fair question and one we're spending time on too. And it, and it relates to really more improvement and development than talent. And, and that's where our focus and injury is, or our focus and emphasis is. All right, everyone, that concludes our press conference. Thank you all for coming. So that was Ross Atkins, general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. Speaking to media down at Rogers Center, the end of 2022 media availability for Atkins. Uh, we're going to break it down in our second segment, the second half of the show. I've got sports producer Chris Black to my left. We've got, we were both taking a bunch of notes through that. We've got our salary projections. We've got <laughs> our ideal free agency targets. We'll do all of that next. Um, before we take a break, though, Chris, uh, what stood out most to you? What's the, the highlight 1A item from that press conference? A line that maybe some people might not love, but this roster, a good starting point for next season. Like, they could, the unsexiest takeaway from this season right now, and I understand how much people really don't want to hear. Back to back 90-win seasons. But, like, the roster, they could do nothing. They could do nothing. Bring back everyone on their roster, and they would be a 90-win team next year, whatever you want to call it, somewhere in that range. So I thought the good starting point was interesting. And the line, obviously, to me, the only real newsy item that could come out of this 
was reading what he said about John Schneider. And the line, I think, was, I think it will be difficult for us to find better than John Schneider. Yeah, that seemed to me like John Schneider is going to be back and they're going to try to make sure they do all their due diligence or their due process or whatever. But he even sidestepped the question, the follow-up question of, will you interview anyone else? Um, so this seems like, you know, unless it comes down from on high, that there needs to be more of a change, more probably more for optics than anything. Or Schneider completely fumbles the interview process and is like, no, actually, secretly, I've been misaligned with all this <laughs> front office's core values this whole time. Uh, yeah, it sounds like John Schneider's back. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with uh, Chris Black We'll go through some of the finer points of Atkins Presser, and we'll, we'll go through some of our own points, some of our own unanswered questions and things we'd like to see over the next couple months. That's next with Chris Black as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, sports producer Chris Black alongside me uh, we're with you for the next half hour weird from ross atkins from down at rogers center uh, his end of season media availability in the first half of the show if you missed it or want to go back you can uh, that'll be available on sportsnet.ca that'll be available in the jay's talk podcast feed so uh, if you need to go back do so uh you might want to you know, pre-workout or a cup of coffee or something like that, because it was not the most exciting of uh, of press conferences. Maybe this is me coming from a Raptors background where every end of season Masai Ujiri press conference, even if he says as little as Ross Atkins, is a let's all run through a wall with these non-answers. Uh, Chris, did you did you take much away from Ross Atkins' availability? As I said, the Schneider thing, yes. But other than that, there really wasn't anything. And you allude to something great here. Like, we kind of forget there usually isn't a lot of stuff said in these things. Never. There's, there's stuff alluded to. There's stuff you, you need to parse words. You need to yes. every read between team, the lines. Every team is looking at a, a couple different ways they could get better. Every team is going to explore free agency, trades, and internal development. <laughs> yeah. uh, every team is going to evaluate all the options that are on the table. Yeah. But yeah, I do think there's an element of this job that is, you know, whether you care about it or not, it's not for everyone, but a part of that job as the public-facing figure of the of what we always hear as a collaborative front office is optics and PR. Like, you got to... Part of it is rallying the fan base after a disappointing end. And, you know, that element was missing. Again, it's not nearly the most important part of a general manager's job, but it is uh, in stark contrast. And the Leafs don't do a great job of this either. Um, it's one area the Raptors are a little bit ahead. Again, even if they say nothing, they just say nothing with more charisma. Masai is kind of a different, just a different guy. Than yeah, it's everyone like else. The Rock being He's your charisma. GM. Yeah, it's just pure charisma. But I will say Dubis. Uh, Kyle Dubas, Ross Atkins, and everyone loves, everyone conveniently forgets this fact. Alex Anthopoulos never said anything of substance. He had a very, he had a very good delivery, a very, he had a folksy kind of feel to him, but he also didn't say anything. If you, yeah. if so, you read the words, there was a lot of nothing in his, and in his answer. Look, in contrast, this is a market where Brian Burke said everything. Yes. Even JP Ricciardi said everything, uh, much to his Downfall. So maybe some people have been schooled yes. on what not and, to do. And Brian Colangelo didn't say a lot of things, but that was the leakiest front office that you've ever seen, really. His uh, callers said everything yes. that needed to be said. Yes, so we are uh, we are a city that comes from 
ironically, but maybe logically, uh, a period of 15 or 20 years where the teams were not successful, but the front offices were a lot more forthcoming with information. So to, maybe something to be gleaned from that. Yeah, maybe. Um, so there are a couple things we can glean from Ross Atkins Presser. He at least... Um, answered a couple of questions. Now, you mentioned the John Schneider one. You certainly come away from that availability thinking that John Schneider will be back next year as manager. Um, from a roster perspective, there were a couple things we can get into. Again, it's a lot. It's the art of not saying anything. However, the one thing he was pretty consistent about through his initial address, through a couple of follow-ups, I would be shocked Again, unless something fundamentally changes in their meetings over the next couple of weeks, if a piece that we consider part of this core is moved, he seems very committed to the core pieces of this foundation. Yeah, he gave like a one word answer uh, when yes. somebody asked about he said kind of moving no. a core. Yeah, and that's that's kind of flying in the face of what kind of a few of us were just even tossing up in the air and thinking about if they had an early exit. I kind of I can see it both ways. There's no reason to necessarily move a core. Like, this is a shockingly really, really good young core. Somebody, we looked up a stat for today. Go ahead. I agree with that on the position player side. Yes. Yeah. It's a pretty old pitching staff. Yeah, it's just Manoa. Um, but one one note that we looked up today was teams that have won 90 games where their best hitter and pitcher by ERA and OPS under 25. It's literally the Jays this year. The 18 Yankees, which is Andujar and Severino. And then you're going back like 50 years to 72 Reds. So this, is, this is fun with cutoffs, though, because obviously he didn't have enough plate appearances to qualify. Danny Jansen yeah, had the best OPS on uh, the team. And he's games. ancient at 27. Yes, ancient 27. But, but yes. yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, he was emphatic about not trading core. Um, Barrios, we always knew he was still going to be viewed as and presented as an You don't option. have a choice. That's right. Um, I do think... He did kind of allude to being optimistic on Yusei Kikuchi, which again, what else are you going to say? Two, two years, Correct. twenty million left on that. Uh, on yeah, that which deal. actually isn't getting that front. You've alluded to it in the last couple of days, like front-loaded contract. It actually does like he's gonna. They're gonna give him a chance to start and figure it out next year, and I think that's not surprising. Um, the other one, there was, I think, I think the line that kind of he alluded to, and it's something that lots of people have been mentioning. Um, ever since the trade deadline. And I like that he mentioned this because it was almost like a, yeah, we know guys, <laughs> we know this team. And it was, uh, it was about strikeouts and swing and miss. Yes. Uh, Although they were a little pushbacky at the deadline that they didn't think it was as big an issue as we did. And I remember, I can't remember if it was trade deadline day or the day after the deadline, but me, you and Joe Siddle sat here yep. and it was a big concern. It was like, yes, you got Anthony Bass. You got Zach pop. The bullpen is better. It's a deep bullpen, but what happens when you need to miss a bat? And in a game one, you, it, it worked out fine. You turn to a Trevor Richards. Cause you need a strikeout in a game two. You have to go to Jordan Romano for six outs because no one, everyone else is uh well, maybe you'll get a ground ball guy. Yeah. I, what I think is interesting when you say they downplayed at the deadline, like I think to a certain degree, they were dealt the hand they were dealt as the season kind of developed. Like you kind of know what you're going to have. Here. I get that. Yeah. But this is like a multi-year thing now yeah. where like it is a clear, it is a clear um, belief of this front office that you don't invest heavily in dollars in the bullpen heading into the year because yep. it's a volatile position. If you're working with finite resources, you don't allocate them to the most boomer bust 
part of the roster, and it's not that expensive in prospects to pick them up on the fly. However, if you are operating like that and have for several years, my expectation is you execute it better. Sure. I think the interesting conversation is, like, I think a lot of people are just saying, just add just add more swing and miss. And it's like kind of like once you make some roster decisions, like there's opportunity cost involved, right? Mm-hmm. Like they made the decision to not invest in the bullpen to a certain degree to allow themselves to go after big tickets, right? It's how a team that's 10th in payroll can go after George Springer's and go after Kevin Gossman's and Ryu's in the past. So, And I, that's what I mean by you have limited resources. And I know it, there will be people who say you don't have to operate with limited resources. The CBT is way, way ahead. Yep. The, the collective balance, ta- a competitive balance tax rather. Um, but if we're being realistic, there is a, a budget they operate within. And yeah, they have decided that the bullpen is not the most effective way to allocate that budget. I just, uh, and, and it's one of those things too, where two years from now, we may be looking at how they've shifted their development of relief pitchers and being like, oh, they learned their lesson. And they're starting to move guys who only have two pitches to the bullpen earlier, or they're starting to draft or sign guys that are big velocity and spin guys and just try to really hammer down two pitches for them. An Adrian Hernandez type. Um, the Dunedin team was full of guys that were big strikeout guys with flaws in the profile, but guys who can miss some bats and maybe move through the organization quickly. Um, But you're going to have to do something, I think, to bridge that gap. Now, you and I were talking at the break about what bridging that gap looks like for 2023. And it might be an unsexy offseason in the bullpen because they do have that philosophy that you can address these things via trade. And they also have, yeah, it's the same bullpen, but David Phelps is the only free agent among that group. They're all arbitration controllable or locked up with team options. Anthony Bass is 3 million. Jimmy Garcia is five and a half. You know, Romano projects to get 4.4 in arbitration. Like you're not talking about a very expensive bullpen and it was a pretty good group. So would you be comfortable if the talking point in February is, well, we brought the exact same bullpen group back minus David Phelps. We add Yosfer Zulueta, Nate Pearson, whoever. And then there's kind of that implicit, well, we'll address the back back end, like the pre-Romano back end prior to the deadline? I think that's the likeliest outcome of this. I don't think they're going to go big game hunting for a reliever via trade this winter just because of exactly what you said, that it's a bullpen that's – it's a major league-ready bullpen. Is it elite? No. But I think the likeliest thing they can do is find a guy, find a David Robertson, find a Daniel Bard who will be – I think maybe one year left. He signed an extension. But He's like a hundred years old too, is he? I know, but I just I think he did sign an extension. Yeah, they can find a closer or an elite guy to. I don't to even think you need in. to find a closer. Yeah, well, like, yeah, that's what I mean. But a closer from a from a poor team yes. to fill in the eighth inning for you, or to be an eighth inning option for you. But again, like no one wants to hear this right now. But that bullpen is perfectly fine. They'll be. It's not elite yet, but it's something that they can figure out in July or August, and I think that's the likeliest. Thing that'll happen. So another thing that was a talking point before the season at the trade deadline and again now, and it wasn't the reason that they lost the series, but we'll mention it just because it's come up so much over the year. And you and I have been on the side of it's a little bit overstated the importance of it. And that's a little more balanced in the lineup with a left-handed bat. Now, Ross Atkins basically pushed back on that and said, well, it's hard when you have nine really good players because who are you replacing yep. 
And, you know, is it a straight swap to just get someone who hits from the left side? Um, He didn't say that. These are my words now. Now, I think over the course of 162 games, it doesn't really matter if your lineup is is righty heavy. I do think we saw by proxy of how the Mariners were able to put John Schneider in uncomfortable positions with relief pitching decisions, the value of having a little more balance in a playoff situation where, yeah, a manager has to decide, especially with the three batter minimum now, do you want your lefty on lefty guy in there if it means he has to pitch to a good righty next um, and questions like that that the Jays don't put on a team um, I didn't come away from that thinking from that session thinking that that's high on their priority list either unless a good player happens to be left-handed like it feels like once again it's more of a tiebreaker than a priority on its own yeah the answer he gave is kind of the tone in which I have talked about these things all year long that I push back on the good righties, we'll beat them. Like that Luis Castillo performance, if anyone's using that as like a right-handed argument against the Blue Jays, he would have shut down a lineup of good lefties with that stuff. That was the best stuff I've seen probably in terms of pitching performances against the Blue Jays this year, maybe Otani, um, that game against Manoa. Future Blue Jays Shohei Otani. Right. Well, let's not get sidetracked, but I could talk about that for an hour. But... Yeah, Mike Petriello left the country because we wouldn't <laughs> stop bothering him about Shohei Otani exactly. uh, deals. By the way, um, Luis Castillo was almost split neutral on the year. Yeah, like, so that wasn't going, like, that wasn't a, we had too many righties in our lineup. But he answered it the way I, I would, which is, like, again, these aren't his words, but this is me parsing it out a little bit. But, like, your top five or six hitters are all very, very good. And getting a lefty just for the sake, replacing one of them with a lefty just for the sake of lineup balance, like unless you're demonstrably better than Springer, Bo, Vladdy, Teoscar, Kirk, Chapman, like you're not, like that group isn't changing. Right. Another another depth lefty just comes into the mix with Tapia, Biggio types. And it's a bottom of the order, and it's nice to have that little bit of flexibility there, but no one is making their bullpen decisions, no opposing manager to avoid a righty to lefty Kevin Biggio or Rymel Tapia situation. Yeah, this this type of spot exists less and less. This spot used to exist more in the kind of, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s, but like the big lefty slugger off the bench like a Matt Stairs type or maybe a Joey Votto type who might just want to like if you want to sit on the bench and come in for just a a platoon advantage pinch hit situation I would like that type I could see that position where they fill out the back end of their roster maybe with one lefty bat who could maybe like again who hits home runs low average low utility uh, anywhere else I could see that but I just I don't see it in the everyday lineup so let me throw this at you then so the other big thing to come from Ross Atkins presser and it mostly confirms what we we kind of expected but um he did confirm that George Springer suffered a concussion in that collision with Bo Bichette he also suffered a shoulder sprain so George Springer, while he is recovering well, according to Atkins, he's still here in Toronto. He hasn't been cleared to travel yet. Once he does, he will go see the doctor that um, that has been working on his elbow throughout this process for a reevaluation. Now, Atkins said that Springer had felt better as time went on, uh, but if they decide to do something with that, removing the spurs that are in there or whatever um, whatever specifically ends up needing to be done, that that would only positively impact George Springer's ability to play center field. Having said that, 
one of the areas this team could stand to improve is defensively. In the outfield? Yes. One of the areas, one of the paths this team has to improving in a kind of win-win trade scenario, obviously there's the option to deal one of the three catchers. You also have, if you believe George Springer should probably play in in a corner outfield spot at this point, or he'll stay healthier in a corner outfield spot, you have a surplus corner outfielder and a hole in center field. Um, Maybe that's something that we should be looking at on free agent lists or, or trade target lists, a center fielder and all else equal, a center fielder who can hit from the left side. Now, I have bad news for you. Uh, you look at the center fielders who hit from the left side this year. Uh, Ryan Maltapio was one of the top ones. So, uh, who lists him as a center fielder? I mean, he played center field enough to qualify <laughs> for the list that I sorted by. But you are looking at like the Dalton Varshows, Brian Reynolds, um, maybe at the super high end of it, not batting wise, but like. realistically what like a Trent Grisham type um that's the Dylan Carlson would probably be the the most interesting if the Cardinals feel Mm -hmm. they've got a they've got a a glut there and and need to do a you know St. Louis just on paper is a really obvious catcher for outfielder spot um anyway I'm kind of getting off the Atkins presser here but I do wonder what you think those conversations will be like internally if a center field capable player becomes available and the discussion is George Springer, your corner outfielder now. A um, couple things about this opening day, 2023 Lourdes will be 29 years old. Mm-hmm. Tay Oscar will be 30 years old mm-hmm. and Springer will be 33 years old. So that's one thing. Just generally that's an old outfield. Um, they turned as collectively as a group, not the three of them, but the blue Jays outfielders this year, we're 18th in the league at converting liners, pop-ups, and fly balls into outs. So below average. Um, so below average, getting older, take a jump from getting older to getting a little slower. That's only going to be more of an issue. Um, the other thing is Springer, guys, his size, he's a big guy, 6'2", mm-hmm. 6'3", 220. I did a thread on this before the season started where I thought this year was going to be the year they moved him to a corner. Guys his size don't play a lot of center field into their 30s. It's the hardest posi- It's one of the hardest positions in baseball to play. It's the hardest outfield position to play. It's a lot of strain on your body. Um, and I just think for him, if, if their goal, he's an elite hitter, if their goal is to keep him in, and they did a great job at he He played 130 this year between DH and outfield, something like that. They did a good job of keeping him in the lineup. But he was banged up. We know that. Mm-hmm. We, we saw his elbow. If it, if it was only something they alluded to. So let me hit you with a, a tougher wrinkle to this question then. What if they say, George Springer, we always knew when you signed this deal and back in Houston you played a lot of right field. Uh, we actually don't think your arm's good enough either. We need you to play left field. Yeah, I mean. Because he'd be an elite left fielder. He'd be fine. It's it's That'd be, we don't know the answer to that just because we don't know his comfort level with mm-hmm. it. We know for a fact He's played right field in his career. He hasn't yeah. really, I, I, without checking the numbers, if it, if there's any games in left, it's a very small amount. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's got to move to a corner at some point. Yeah. I think he's a guy who you could, like, depending on who you found, he could play. I just think he'd be more healthy mm-hmm. if he played 40 games in center instead of 90. 
yeah, you slide into the role of the guy who is filling in for Springer. Exactly. Instead of uh, being but, the, the Springer share of it. But filling in, finding a productive center fielder is yeah. not easy. That's why getting George Springer was such a great get yeah, a couple years ago. It's not. I just read you the names that played center field and were switch hitters or lefties. It's not a, and you don't have to narrow in on just those, but let's try to kill two birds with one stone. Like that's the type of guy you're looking at. And you want to talk about age. It's like, okay, if you convince yourself of the, the 5 million ish Rymal Tapia could get an arbitration and, and you don't non-tender him. Well, he's 29. Everyone's favorite. Why haven't they called him up from AAA outfielder? Nathan Lucas, 28. Uh, there are not like anything, anyone who's close in the minors is not an outfielder yeah. um, or not really a prospect. There could be a scenario where Whit Merrifield plays more outfield than we think. Yeah, this year. is the other thing is if they just continue with this hyper versatility where Merrifield, Biggio, Mourinho, Espinal are all in the mix somewhere, you just kind of cobble it together. I do think, though, that's a little unsatisfying just because of, you know, and, and let's talk about this while we have four minutes left. That would be a little unsatisfying because the way this year played out with the bench was, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this. We're going to use the versatility this way, that way. And then in the final game of the season, they did not use that versatility the way that they had been preparing to use it. I know you have some thoughts on the Jackie Bradley Jr. non-substitution. So um, this is your last appearance on Jay's Talk Plus for the year. So I'm giving you a couple minutes here. I wish, like, first of all, I listened to Ben and Arden break down, like, on their at the letters from the weekend. It was wonderful. It was like an hour 20, which, like, you can you can break down that game, really. I did three hour. hours yesterday, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like, there's so many different ways you can go on that game. I really, like, in terms of the decisions, what you can get upset about as a fan, what you can't. Like, the only thing where I thought they deviated from their strategy that they used all year long was their outfield defense late in the game. I thought all, especially September, August, late in the year, they were aggressive in putting Bradley Zimmer and Jackie Bradley Jr. into games, especially when they were holding leads. So it was strange to me, both in the sixth inning and eighth innings, that they didn't deploy that. And I thought there were two balls hit to Rymel Tapia that had, one was 55% catch probability, one was 30%. Uh, the Springer one, which... Honestly, we don't have time to break down with Bo, but that was a 75% catch probability. So this is all tied together. I do think outfield defense is a big priority heading into next season. Like it's not a it's not a glaring, glaring weakness, but it's something that can be improved. Look, if you consider yourself a top team, any area you're averaging yeah. is an area for improvement. It's the same thing with the the bullpen and the swing strike rate. Yeah. It's like, okay, your bullpen was average to a little above average your swinging strike rate was average guess what when there are only 12 of 30 teams that make the playoffs the areas where you're average are the areas that other teams are going to be try to expose so that's right like this team is is good and good enough and so good that the margins matter and that's where we're at like their top five or six guys their top two pitchers their top like they're a very very good team but now it's about the margins the edges improving what they can along the list the little things and to be honest like the way they went out they went out on a lot of the little things they did they went out on a lot of the little things and you know i guess to to wrap this up the the two things that were notable not for future plans but just in the in ross atkins steadfastness with them was the one word answer of yes yeah when asked if this was a big enough step to call it progress shout out to caitlin mcgrath of the athletic for following up in a 
very appropriate way. Yeah. That was like, how do you reconcile that when, yeah, you, you won game. one more game, but you didn't win a playoff game. Yeah. Um, so great job by, by Caitlin there. And, and then later, Atkins came around to, we didn't sign up to get to the playoffs. That's not our goal. And okay, well, if that's true, then it wasn't progress, right? Like, that's uh there's a I, I know it's a bit of the PR spin and you don't want to be too hard on your team, but there's a an incongruence between those two statements and an incongruence with the oh, our urgency is always as high as it can be. Because we saw that this year at the trade deadline, their urgency was not as high as it can be. Um here's hoping it is this off season. Final one for you before because we've just got a minute here. Do you take anything from his stripling kind of non-committal comment on that, or is that just standard pre-free agency posturing? I, I think it was. Okay. Like I think we both kind of looked at each other when it the first time it got brought up, but then he clarified it. Yeah, because he said we'll was... address the stripling spot through trade or free agency. Yeah. But he then kind of circled back to it later and was like, Well, stripling's I think a free stripling, agent. Yeah. I think stripling's still a free, still a priority for them. Yeah, the qualifying offer conversation for another day is uh, is an interesting one there, as are some of these non-tender conversations. We'll be back tomorrow to have some of those conversations with Arden Zwelling as JSTOCK Plus rounds out the week. Uh, thanks, Chris Black, for coming Thank on. You. Thanks to Ross Atkins for filling half the show. Kipper and Bourne are next on Sports at 590 The Fan.